Chapters 4 through 7 of Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. A. Carter. Against Heresies by St. Irenaeus, Book 5. Translated by Alexander Roberts and William H. Rambo. Chapter 4. Those persons are deceived who feign another God the Father besides the Creator of the world. For he must have been feeble and useless, or else malignant and full of envy, if he be either unable or unwilling to extend external life to our bodies. 1. Those persons who feign the existence of another Father beyond the Creator, and who term him the good God, do deceive themselves. For they introduce him as a feeble, worthless, and negligent being, not to say malign and full of envy, inasmuch as they affirm that our bodies are not quickened by him. For when they say of things which it is manifest to all do remain immortal, such as the spirit and the soul, and such other things that they are quickened by the Father, but that another thing, viz. the body, which is quickened in no different manner than by God granting life to it, is abandoned by life, they must either confess that this proves their Father to be weak and powerless, or else envious and malignant, for since the Creator does even here quicken our mortal bodies, and promises them resurrection by the prophets, as I have pointed out, who in that case is shown to be more powerful, stronger, or truly good? Whether is it the Creator who vivifies the whole man, or is it their Father, falsely so called? He feigns to be the quickener of those things which are immortal by nature, to which things life is always present by their very nature, but he does not benevolently quicken those things which required his assistance that they might live, but leaves them carelessly to fall under the power of death. Whether is it the case, then, that their father does not bestow life upon them when he has the power of so doing, or is it that he does not possess the power? If, on the one hand, it is because he cannot, he is, upon that supposition, not a powerful being, nor is he more perfect than the Creator. For the Creator grants, as we must perceive, what he is unable to afford. But if, on the other hand, it be that he does not grant this, when he has the power of so doing, then he is proved to be not a good but an envious and malignant father. 2. If, again, they refer to any cause on account of which their father does not impart life to bodies, then that cause must necessarily appear superior to the Father, since it restrains him from the exercise of his benevolence. And his benevolence will thus be proved weak on account of that cause which they bring forward. Now every one must perceive that bodies are capable of receiving life, for they live to the extent that God pleases that they should live. And that being so, the heretics cannot maintain that these bodies are utterly incapable of receiving life, if, therefore, on account of necessity and any other cause, those bodies which are capable of participating in life are not vivified, their father shall be the slave of necessity and that cause, and not, therefore, a free agent, having his will under his own control. Chapter 5. The prolonged life of the ancients, the translation of Elijah and of Enoch in their own bodies, as well as the preservation of Jonah, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the midst of extreme peril, are clear demonstrations that God can raise up our bodies to life eternal. 1. In order to learn that bodies did continue in existence for a lengthened period as long as it was God's good pleasure that they should flourish, let these heretics read the scriptures, 
and they will find that our predecessors advanced beyond seven hundred, eight hundred, and nine hundred years of age, and that their bodies kept pace with the protracted length of their days, and participated in life as long as God willed that they should live. But why do I refer to these men? For Enoch, when he pleased God, was translated in the same body in which he did please him, thus pointing out by anticipation the translation of the just. Elijah, too, was caught up when he was yet in the substance of the natural form, thus exhibiting in prophecy the assumption of those who are spiritual, and that nothing stood in the way of their body being translated and caught up. For by means of the very same hands through which they were molded at the beginning, did they receive this translation and assumption. For in Adam the hands of God had become accustomed to set in order, to rule, and to sustain his own workmanship, and to bring it and place it where they pleased. Where, then, was the first man placed? In paradise, certainly, as the scripture declares. And God planted a garden, paradisum, eastward in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And then afterwards, when man proved disobedient, he was cast out thence into this world. Wherefore also the elders, who were disciples of the apostles, tell us that those who were translated were transferred to that place, for paradise has been prepared for righteous men, such as have the Spirit, in which place also Paul the apostle, when he was caught up, heard words which are unspeakable as regards us in our present condition, and that there shall they who have been translated remain, until the consummation of all things as a prelude to immortality. 2. If, however, any one imagine it impossible that men should survive for such a length of time, and that Elias was not caught up in the flesh, but that his flesh was consumed in the fiery chariot, let him consider that Jonah, when he had been cast into the deep and swallowed down into the whale's belly, was by the command of God again thrown out safe upon the land. And then again, when Ananias, Azarias, and Misael were cast into the furnace of fire sevenfold heated, they sustained no harm whatever, neither was the smell of fire perceived upon them. As therefore the hand of God was present with them working out marvelous things in their case, things impossible to be accomplished by man's nature, what wonder was it if also in the case of those who were translated it performed something wonderful, working in obedience to the will of God, even the Father? Now this is the Son of God, as the scripture represents Nebuchadnezzar the king as having said, Did not we cast three men bound into the furnace, and lo, I do see four walking in the midst of the fire, and the fourth is like the Son of God? Neither the nature of any created thing, therefore, nor the weakness of the flesh can prevail against the will of God. For God is not subject to created things, but created things to God, and all things yield obedience to his will. Wherefore also the Lord declares, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. As therefore it might seem to the men of the present day who are ignorant of God's appointment to be a thing incredible and impossible that any man should live for such a number of years, yet those who were before us did live to such an age, and those who were translated do live as an earnest of the future length of days, and as it might also appear impossible that from the whale's belly and from the fiery furnace men issued forth unhurt, yet they nevertheless did so, led forth as it were by the hand of God for the purpose of declaring his power. So also now, although some not knowing the power and promise of God may oppose their own salvation, deeming it impossible for God, who raises up the dead, to have power to confer upon them eternal duration, 
yet the skepticism of men of this stamp shall not render the faithfulness of god of none effect chapter six god will bestow salvation upon the whole nature of man consisting of body and soul in close union since the word took it upon him and adorned with the gifts of the holy spirit of whom our bodies are and are termed the temples one now god shall be glorified in his handiwork fitting it so as to be conformable to and modelled after his own son for by the hands of the father that is by the son and the holy spirit man and not merely a part of man was made in the likeness of god now the soul and the spirit are certainly a part of the man but certainly not the man for the perfect man consists in the commingling and the union of the soul receiving the spirit of the father and the admixture of that fleshly nature which was moulded after the image of god for this reason does the apostle declare we speak wisdom among them that are perfect terming those persons perfect who have received the spirit of god and who through the spirit of god do speak in all languages as he used himself also to speak in like manner we do also hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the spirit speak all kinds of languages and bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of god whom also the apostle terms spiritual they being spiritual because they partake of the spirit and not because their flesh has been stripped off and taken away and because they have become purely spiritual for if any one take away the substance of flesh that is of the handiwork of god and understand that which is purely spiritual such then would not be a spiritual man but would be the spirit of a man or the spirit of god but when the spirit here blended with the soul is united to god's handiwork the man is rendered spiritual and perfect because of the outpouring of the spirit and this is he who was made in the image and likeness of god but if the spirit be wanting to the soul he who is such is indeed of an animal nature and being left carnal shall be an imperfect being possessing indeed the image of god in his formation in plasmate but not receiving the similitude through the spirit and thus is this being imperfect thus also if any one take away the image and set aside the handiwork he cannot then understand this as being a man but as either some part of a man as i have already said or as something else than a man for that flesh which has been moulded is not a perfect man in itself but the body of a man and part of a man neither is the soul itself considered apart by itself the man but it is the soul of the man and part of a man neither is the spirit a man for it is called the spirit and not a man but the commingling and union of all these constitutes the perfect man and for this cause does the apostle explaining himself make it clear that the saved man is a complete man as well as a spiritual man speaking thus in the first epistle to the thessalonians now the god of peace sanctify you perfect perfectos and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved whole without complaint to the coming of the lord jesus christ now what was his object in praying that these three that is soul body and spirit might be preserved to the coming of the lord unless he was aware of the future reintegration and union of the three and that they should be heirs of one and the same salvation for this cause also he declares that those are the perfect who present unto the lord the three component parts without offence those then are the perfect who have had the spirit of god remaining in them and have preserved their souls and bodies blameless holding fast the faith of god that is that faith which is directed toward god 
and maintaining righteous dealings with respect to their neighbors. 2. Whence also he says that this handiwork is the temple of God, thus declaring, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man therefore will defile the temple of God, him will God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Here he manifestly declares the body to be the temple in which the Spirit dwells. As also the Lord speaks in reference to himself, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He spake this, however, it is said, of the temple of his body. And not only does he, the apostle, acknowledge our bodies to be a temple, but even the temple of Christ, saying thus to the Corinthians, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? He speaks these things not in reference to some other spiritual man, for a being of such a nature could have nothing to do with an harlot, but he declares our body, that is, the flesh which continues in sanctity and purity, to be the members of Christ, but that when it becomes one with an harlot, it becomes the members of an harlot. And for this reason he said, If any man defile the temple of God, him will God destroy. How then is it not the utmost blasphemy to allege that the temple of God in which the Spirit of the Father dwells and the members of Christ do not partake of salvation, but are reduced to perdition? Also that our bodies are raised not from their own substance, but by the power of God, he says to the Corinthians, Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. But God hath both raised up the Lord, and shall raise us up by his own power. Chapter 7 Inasmuch as Christ did rise in our flesh, it follows that we shall be also raised in the same. Since the resurrection promised to us should not be referred to spirits naturally immortal, but to bodies in themselves mortal. 1. In the same manner, therefore, as Christ did rise in the substance of flesh and pointed out to his disciples the mark of the nails and the opening in his side, now these are the tokens of that flesh which rose from the dead, so shall he also, it is said, raise us up by his own power. And again to the Romans he says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. What then are mortal bodies? Can they be souls? Nay, for souls are incorporeal when put in comparison with mortal bodies. For God breathed into the face of man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now the breath of life is an incorporeal thing, and certainly they cannot maintain that the very breath of life is mortal. Therefore David says, My soul also shall live to him, just as if its substance were immortal. Neither, on the other hand, can they say that the spirit is the mortal body. What, therefore, is there left to which we may apply the term mortal body, unless it be the thing that was molded, that is, the flesh, of which it is also said that God will vivify it, for this it is which dies and is decomposed, but not the soul or the spirit. For to die is to lose vital power, and become henceforth breathless, inanimate, and devoid of motion, and to melt away into those component parts of which also it derived the commencement of its substance. But this event happens neither to the soul, for it is the breath of life, nor to the spirit, for the spirit is simple and not composite, so that it cannot be decomposed, and is itself the life of those who receive it. We must therefore conclude that it is in reference to the flesh that death is mentioned. 
which flesh, after the soul's departure, becomes breathless and inanimate, and is decomposed gradually into the earth from which it was taken. This, then, is what is mortal, and it is this of which he also says, He shall also quicken your mortal bodies. And therefore, in reference to it, he says in the first epistle to the Corinthians, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It rises in incorruption. For he declares, That which thou sowest cannot be quickened, unless first it die. 2. But what is that which, like a grain of wheat, is sown in the earth and decays, unless it be the bodies which are laid in the earth, into which seeds are also cast? And for this reason, he said, It is sown in dishonor, it rises in glory. For what is more ignoble than dead flesh, or on the other hand, what is more glorious than the same when it arises and partakes of incorruption? It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, in its own weakness certainly, because, since it is earth, it goes to earth. But it is quickened by the power of God, who raises it from the dead. It is sown an animal body, it rises a spiritual body. He has taught beyond all doubt that such language was not used by him either with reference to the soul or to the spirit, but to bodies that have become corpses. For these are animal bodies, that is, bodies which partake of life which, when they have lost, they succumb to death. Then, rising through the Spirit's instrumentality, they become spiritual bodies, so that by the Spirit they possess a perpetual life. For now, he says, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but then face to face. And this it is which has been said also by Peter, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, now also not seeing, ye believe, and believing, ye shall rejoice with joy unspeakable. For our face shall see the face of the Lord, and shall rejoice with joy unspeakable, that is to say, when it shall behold its own delight. End of Book 5, Chapters 4 through 7 Recording by J. A. Carter, www.authenticlight.org